How would you like to learn new skills and face exciting new challenges by becoming a medic in the Royal Air Force? RAF Medical Services offer a wide variety of roles with great benefits and exciting opportunities. I'm Lucy Coward and I've been talking to doctors, nurses, dentists and physiotherapists about what life is like in the RAF. These are no ordinary medics. They're trained to care for sick or injured military personnel and civilians, sometimes in areas of conflict both on the ground and in the air. This time I'm joined by Gemma and Emily, who tell me that RAF doctors are part of something so much bigger. Gemma started by telling me she's seen a lot of positive progress. So I joined um, through medical school with a, a bursary, so back in 1999, and then came into sort of productive, doing my house jobs and then the general duties years, sort of 2005. And I think what's really changed in that time is my patient group. So we're seeing many more women within the armed forces. So that's changing um, the sort of level of uh, women we're supporting both in the armed forces uh, and also when we're working in family practices um, and we've got families. It means that it's been a really varied job, but certainly more recently, um, I'm seeing some much more interesting um, projects and moves towards um, you know, really normalising our, our demographic, which has been really fun. Is it easy to navigate changes? It is, because I think... We change as an organisation. So you've definitely got to be willing to change because there's always change either in where you're going to be working, uh, the job you're going to be doing, the colleagues you're going to be working with, um, even down to sort of the, the type of station, you know, what it's focused with, whether it's force protection or a certain type of aircraft. You, you've got to be ready for change. Um, but everyone around you is as well. There's very few people who stay static within the Air Force. And that really adds to, to the fun that um, you're all in the same boat um, and you try new things you talk about new things sometimes they work sometimes they don't um, but you're always moving forward uh, which I really enjoy and Emily it's not quite been 20 years for you has it no so I actually joined while I was at medical school through the university air squadron and went through the bursary and cadetship route that way um, I'm now currently working at the joint hospital group north uh, which is James Cook Hospital in Middlesbrough um, where I'm doing my foundation training at the moment. What attracted you to it? A sort of whole host of things. I am from a military family myself, but actually it, it was initially the uh, epidemic in Sierra Leone. I remember reading about it on the news and the use of the air transportable isolators in bringing people back to the UK. And the more I read and I read about the RAF's role in that, I thought that's something I really want to get involved in. And it was at that time that I was applying to medical school. Um, and that's what made me sort of go down the route of thinking, actually, I want to consider a, a career in the RAF um, as a doctor. And that's really what led me to joining the University Air Squadron and exploring that further. Prior to medicine, I actually did a degree in microbiology. So I was already always interested in infectious disease. Um, and suddenly it was this, oh, that, that sounds really interesting. And I guess the opportunity to be part of something bigger as well. Um, not just have the career in medicine, but have something else as well. Gemma, do you think you'd always wanted to be a doctor? 
No, I didn't always want to be a doctor. I think the Air Force was always part of um, my journey uh, and sort of what I knew I wanted to sort of base my career in. But I really wanted to be a pilot until I did selection and my arms were too short and unlikely to grow. But in that time, it kind of dawned on me the sort of the things I like in life um, and things that keep me really interested and that medicine was the degree where I wanted to go to. And then combining that with the Air Force, and it wasn't really until I was 18, I began to explore medicine within the Air Force and what that might mean. I thought, yeah, that ticks all the boxes, Um, the opportunity to deploy and and go and do really different things um, and, you know, still be within that military environment that I knew that I wanted to be part of and and, able to do more than just medicine, just as Emily said. Can you give me a moment where you've really thought, yeah, this is it. I'm kind of having a bit of an out-of-body experience and I'm doing this and this is just brilliant. There's a couple for me. So I think that the first one was during my first deployment in Afghanistan and I actually had my 30th birthday there. And it it was an unusual place to have a big birthday. The, the group of new friends that we'd formed sort of from my work colleagues and, and those around the, the hospital area that I worked within, uh, you know, a birthday cake was mustered from somewhere and the um, interpreters and, and some of the uh, sort of custody staff threw an impromptu birthday party for me. So we ended up playing charades with the Afghan interpreters, which was uh, so much fun, you know, meeting these people and sharing sort of, um, you know, something special when you a long way from home but really doing something that was worthwhile as well you know you don't get your day off uh, for your birthday um, when when you're deployed so it was just that idea of um, you know it it being quite a special day for very unusual reasons and then I think the second one has actually come more recently um, and the Air Force um, has supported me in doing some research so I've been a CAS fellow um, doing um, aerospace. What's a CAS fellow? So it's a Chief of the Air Staff um, Research um, Fellow. So it's a, a competition each year that's open to everyone in the Air Force. Uh, and you can do either a taught um, sort of programme where uh, you'll do a degree at an affiliated university, um, or like I did, where I came up with my sort of own research ideas and then was supported by a university to be able to do the research project. So it was a, a year full time supported by the Air Force. Uh, and the project I, I went down was looking at the idea of um, the, the gender data gap and how that might apply within um, the Air Force and whether it was impacting um, sort of female aviators. And we went sort of along a course that ended up with a big project looking at um, uh, how um, aircrew urinate whilst they're flying, uh, recognising that the different aircraft we have um, add some challenges uh, along the journey. And the the work was really rewarding. Um, talking to the men and women who fly was so interesting, and and you know it was a very personal topic. Um, but within the field of aerospace medicine, we have to get that personal to get it right because uh, it all impacts their performance and how well they're going to be able to fly their jet. We we have to think of um, uh, you know even the, the the quite private things to make sure that we're getting it right and things are integrated and you're able to do it. And during that, I just thought. Wow, of all the things I'm interested in, here I am um, doing it uh, with the full support of the Air Force and, and my branch, um, being able to, to delve into research. Um, having also you know, been a GP for a long time, this was a totally new area of medicine and a totally new skill. And um, the Air Force were you know, really willing and ready um, to, to back me developing that even sort of 20 years into my career. So it's been great and opened so many more doors uh, you know, things that I'm now interested in and able to do and able to support. So it's, um, it, it was a really good um, a sort of 
middle of my career being able to do something like that and think, yeah, uh, you know, there's an, another 20 years ahead that are, are just as exciting coming up. And how much do you think that's down to the fact that the, the RAF is extremely good at saying, look, this is what we do. This is what we offer. As long as you've got the, the drive and, and the skill set and, and the requirements ticked off, that's it. You know, we welcome you. Absolutely. And I think certainly when I was going through um, sort of applying for the university air squadron, um, it's, it was very much the approach of it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or have you, however you identify it is, uh, whether you, you know, tick the, the boxes, you have the necessary qualifications, motivations, this is what you want to do. So I was the branch advisor for a while. So it was a, a very privileged position where you get to meet everybody who's interested in joining um, the Air Force as a doctor. And it really um, is interesting to talk with these people to sort of see how their opinion has changed now that they've gone through the recruitment process. And I think a lot of those um, sort of misconceptions come from our history that that did used to be the case, um, that you couldn't have children if you're a woman, so you would leave upon pregnancy. Before that, it was very difficult to get married. Um, But this was a long time ago now. And certainly um, I've got uh, two children. Most of my colleagues have have got children of um, some sort, but it suits everybody on different journeys the supporting policies we've got within the MOD and certainly within the Air Force the culture that's much more accepting and and, recognizing the the diversity that having lots of people from different walks of life um, making different choices brings into the organization Um, and my misconception was that those that didn't come through the cadetship scheme tended to be men that you know if you made your decision early on then you know your your career could you know, shape you as a woman in in, in what you do. Um, but if you were going to stay in the NHS, it would just probably be too challenging to, to come across. And uh, I've completely been proved wrong. And we, we've had a, a, a fantastic group of women that have joined in the last few years, um, you know, right up to um, a lovely lady who's, uh, I wouldn't say her exact age, but, um, you know, in her early 50s, who's joined us for exactly that, wanting to do just something totally different at the sort of latter half of her career when she's got different things to bring and to give and also different experiences to have within the organisation so it's it really has changed and um, we are actually really nicely gender balanced um, and, and that really helps to sort of set an example of, of what an organisation and what a, a profession within that organisation can look like. Definitely and what kind of unique training programmes do you get to to choose or be involved in and what's been your favourite? Well I think through the University Air Squadron there was a number of different um Uh, training programs available really sort of I guess on sort of maybe the AT front uh, so adventurous training but at the moment really sort of I'm focusing on my foundation training which I do with my NHS colleagues before I go ahead and go to RAF Cranwell um, where I'll do three months of uh, training in the military and then I have what's called a GDMO year which is really sort of to experience life, military medicine. The important thing for um, doctors in the Air Force is that we will be trained to the same standard as our NHS colleagues. So we have to take the same exams, um, take the same um, training pathways. And we competitively select within the Air Force for um, official training numbers so that we can be in a, a training programme to get the end result, whether that's being a general practitioner, an anaesthetist, a surgeon. But what the Air Force adds is all the other little bits along the way, which is very much the, the, the military medicine 
side of that. So the skills that we'll need to, to deliver that medicine that's very much been taught within um, sort of the United Kingdom's healthcare system. How do we then apply that into situations uh, where we may be in deployed temporary hospitals, uh, you know, that could be a tent in Africa or a, a more sort of solid structure like we had in Afghanistan. Um, how would we transfer those skills into um, austere locations like setting up refugee camps um, as part of non-combatant evacuation operations? Um, and then the big thing for the Air Force is how do we put all of this skills and knowledge uh, into safely operating in the air um, through, uh, you know, the, the big, I think, the USP of the Air Force um, is aerospace medicine and within that the aeromedical evacuation so um, someone like Emily who might be thinking about becoming a physician in infectious diseases will need to um, learn how how physiology changes in the air um, how to manage patients in very constrained and confined locations uh, and and that's what the air force provides us with um, whether that's in the air or also in more kind of like green locations so in field-based exercises that we'll do with the defense medical services so with our army and navy colleagues um, we're always doing something more um, than just our core training so i think that's one of the, the key skills we've got to have is capacity i think that is huge selling point of the military in in general is sort of medicine in an austere environment and preparing you for for that and I think that's quite exciting to be able to go out and use your skills in on deployment and as I said it's, it is sort of being being part of that bigger picture as well which is incredibly attractive and then touching again on the aeromedical evacuation chain that's something that when I am fortunate enough to get the opportunity to talk to more senior colleagues um, that's something I really enjoy listening to because that really excites me and motivates me for my career as it's moving forward and thinking about all the opportunities that I'm going to have to do that kind of thing. What is it like? What is it like being in those really super tense environments, those moments? So this might surprise you to hear, but actually it's normal um, because we're so well trained. Sometimes you don't quite realise the, the seriousness of the situation and, and what's been going on until you're through the other end and debriefing as a team because you just get on and do it and you've you've trained for this moment. Um, so your mind is in it um, and you're just sort of letting events unfold in front of you and, and reacting and responding to it. Um, and, and as I said, they train us so that we can do that. Um, and then you have a think through about all the things that could have happened uh, or did happen and think about, you know, what could we possibly do next time? What can we learn from this? And then you just move on to the next one. So it very much becomes, um, you know, our standard role and, and the way we go about doing things. We you know, meet together and we talk, we, we talk through cases, um, there's lots of, sort of academic research that goes on and, and publications so that we, we can think about what we do within that context. And can you think of one of those moments? Can you talk me through one of those moments where you've been up to your eyeballs and it's only been afterwards that you've been able to take stock? Yeah. So um, I worked within the um, deployable aeromedical response team um, that was tasked uh, at the time with um, basically being a rapid um, reaction team that was primary healthcare focused to go and do some medical reconnaissance. Um, so just going into an environment and seeing what this current situation is and how that would then interplay with us either deciding to go in and support as a country or and perhaps having to land aircraft in this location um, and, and going to do things. And 
I was doing that role during um, the hour of spring. So when you had a lot of um, change um, in sort of certainly starting within Libya, within North Africa and across that um, region of the um, the world. Uh, and that was really interesting because that feeling of being up against it was just um, how quickly you could be somewhere. And you might have got an inkling in the, you know, the open press about what was going on. You get a little bit more information and then you start planning what was going on. Um, but you would then disappear um, somewhere within in the world and you wouldn't know what was going to be waiting for you when those aircraft doors opened. So you could brief and plan um, as much as you could do. You were just the medical part of a much bigger sort of security team uh, and you'd have sometimes experts in fuel and logistics there, uh, the, the security side of aspects and um, the aircrew side all working together to kind of put in their now subject matter expertise. And uh, during that, uh, we went into um, a very interesting environment um, where literally we got off the aircraft, sort of went and looked around and you could almost feel the battle that had taken place just a couple of days before. So sort of what was left behind, the debris, um, some of the, the, the medical stuff was there. You know, this was a very, very acute environment that we'd gone into. Um, and there was sort of big celebrations going on because it had been a, a particular moment uh, within the, the time with, in Libya. Um, and uh, there was gunfire close to us. So uh, you know, our personal security in, in continuing to do the job is really important because if any of us gets injured, then that stops the team being able to do what they're there supposed to, to be doing. And, and this wasn't an environment that was, you know, should have been directly dangerous to us. But it was one of those moments where you really think that you've got to think about everything, uh, you know, your team safety, your personal safety, and making sure that whilst you're doing your job, you're also not um, creating a, a, yeah, a situation that's going to increase or add unnecessary risk. And Emily, Gemma mentioned there lots about team. You keep yes. coming back to the team. I imagine that you just have to let it go and absolutely trust the people that are around you in any situation? So I suppose from my experience, I'm working in the hospital at the moment. And so perhaps whilst a totally different um, environment, there are numerous um, occasions as a junior doctor where for a variety of reasons, you are trusting in your team. And I can think of just occasions being on a night shift where you've got skeleton staff and having a fantastic team around you can really... Uh, make or break a situation and I think it really coming back to getting on doing the job and then reflecting afterwards and thinking oh okay all these things could have gone wrong and as a junior doctor having all those initial experiences of the, your first time treating a septic patient and things like that and then it just suddenly becomes sort of muscle memory and then you reflect on it afterwards and you think oh um, that that's just sort of become second nature to me and how I deal that with that now and that's incredibly rewarding. And I think moving forward sort of in my career, when I'll actually be deployed with the RAF and in, you know, probably um, austere environments, I think it's having those, those initial kind of key skills and learnings and thinking, okay, this is just stepping up the game now and, and how you approach that. But coming back to the team, um, hugely, hugely important. Um, and I think, that's one of the, the great things that I found um, being in the RAF and in the military is your all of my colleagues that I've met with very much a, a group of like minded individuals, very motivated. And just when you work with 
other doctors on the ward that are military, you do just get this feel of this is a great team. So Emily, you picked up on a really good point there that during your foundation years, which um, in my time were called house jobs, meeting your military colleagues there um, and identifying within that cohort that you know you were also military um, was really key to setting a strong foundation because you will meet these people uh, in the most random of places around the world yeah. in the um, and being able to come back to that idea that um, you know you have that common connection and the training we do we could be with one group of one week and then totally different group of people the next week and what's really nice about it is because we've got these sort of key common traits within our training, um, you just get on and you uh, gel together and suddenly the team is functioning uh, as if the team has always been there. And I think it's a really amazing part of military medicine that we do just sort of pick up and move on uh, really really easily uh, there is so much support offered and so much um, sort of pastoral side of things because we recognize the challenges that you'll go through from not just your medical training but just having a life uh, you know there are so many things on your normal journey um, and we want people to succeed yeah, I, I would definitely agree that even sort of my junior perspective and um, my sort of application starting my foundation training I'm currently living at RAF Leaming um, I felt incredibly supported throughout the process. And I feel that I have this additional support system compared to my NHS colleagues and not mm. just from the perspective of, you know, my CO or checking in or the military dean um, for the joint hospital group, but also just living on an on RF base and coming in in the evenings and sitting in the mess having that support network, as I was touching on earlier about being on the wards, um, interacting with my military colleagues, again, that's a support network. And there are so many different touch points throughout, sort of, throughout this process that I would definitely feel that if I needed support, I could access it and constantly sort of contact in terms of if you're needing support at the moment, in terms of even things with COVID, there are resources available these are the people you can speak to. And I, I really do feel that some of the maybe issues that my NHS colleagues uh, raise, perhaps regarding training, I wouldn't, I have not um, found to be an issue at all. And I found really that I've been so well looked off after by the RAF. Um, even in terms of things like um, getting my place at James Cook Hospital, um, while my friends were going through the process of, of ranking and waiting to hear about which deaneries they were going to, which hospitals they were going to. Our process was so much more straightforward. That element was removed right at the beginning, a final year. So I had the year to focus on my exams, um, passing them, becoming a doctor, rather than thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know where I'm going to be geographically. And, and all these other concerns. And the fact that they said, you know, we can house the RF leaning, which for me has been fantastic because I think initially there was an element of, perhaps a bit of imposter syndrome and you know I haven't gone through initial training here yet but as soon as I sort of moved into RAF leaning and started working that has definitely melted away because we very much feel part of the RAF and for me I've I feel like I've been able to have the best of both worlds medicine and military even at this early stage in my career by the same token, therefore, that enables you to keep looking forward. You can just focus on what do I want to do next? Where do I want to be? Yes, I'm actually looking to go down the general practice route. I've been really enthusiastic about multiple areas of medicine and it, it just made the most sense. 
um, for me. And also in terms of sort of my career in the RAF, I understand it's one of the most deployable roles. Um, and I think um, for me, that's really exciting, the opportunity to deploy. And what's next for you, Gemma? So my um, current role, I'm working um, with a team that's been uh, put in under um, Chief of Defence People um, in response to a report that was released uh, in December 2021 that was looking at the lived experience of service women, which really piqued my interest uh, from my research. So I'm currently the REF's representative on that, and we're calling it a sprint. But we've got six months to deliver some women's health initiatives and policies that will make uh, you know the, the lived experience of our current service women, but also those our next generation coming through, um, much more equitable and really, really um, sort of make the most of the diversity that we have within the Air Force. Um, so that's what I'll be doing for the next few months. Um, so I'm using my background experience to influence change within the organisation, um, which is a really privileged um, position to be in and one that I'm really enjoying. Um, so I hope sort of the, the second stage of my career um, will build on that. And certainly within the um, arena of aerospace medicine, um, there are some really exciting changes happening within the UK, uh, within the space industry, and how the Air Force sort of aligns to now support that. Uh, now we've developed our space command and where aerospace medicine is going to come in, I think you know, makes for a very interesting future within the Air Force. Uh, so I hope um, to, to be within the Air Force for the next 20 years uh, and just making the most of um, the opportunities that, that, that come because uh, you know, every job's different, but they have all um, you know, provided great reward with what I've been doing. Are you up to the challenge? RAF Medical Services is actively recruiting now. To find out more about becoming a medic in the Royal Air Force, search Royal Air Force Medical Services. Royal Air Force. No ordinary job.